0: I'll say that ain't nobody not out there that even wants to be a little bit mellow. Now we say
2: that. Anybody wants to get mellow, you can turn around and get the fuck
0: out of here, all right? This is the Trunk Nation podcast Podcast. with host Eddie Trunk.
1: Hey, folks, it's Eddie Trunk. It's time for another episode of the Eddie Trunk podcast coming your way every Thursday with new episodes anywhere you get your podcast. Thank you for downloading, thank you for streaming, thank you for subscribing, and I appreciate you checking out the show. Remember, everything you hear on this podcast originally happened live on my Sirius XM radio show, Trunk Nation, which you can hear live Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, and that's on Sirius XM Channel 106 Volume, nightly re-airs of that show, 10 to midnight Eastern, full shows, audio, video, more on the Sirius XM app. If you are only listening to this podcast and you live in the U.S. or Canada, you are only getting a tiny fraction of what I do on a daily basis on Sirius XM. So come on board and join me each and every day on volume. Also a sixth show on Sirius XM. That is on Mondays, 5 to 8 p.m. Eastern on 39. You also have the terrestrial syndicated show, this podcast Makes eight broadcasts a week. Thank you for connecting with them, however you do. So we've got a great one for KISS fans this week. Coming up in just a few minutes, my recent interview with the director of the expansive KISS documentary that was on AE, the kiss documentary. Director DJ Viola will join me for some insights and discussion about that documentary. We talked a lot about it. On the air as it was airing, I gave you my thoughts about it. I thought it was real good. I thought it was well done. Me being a very hardcore Kiss fan, obviously there's going to be holes in it and things that I would have loved to have seen, but the documentary, let's be honest, was made for more of the everyday fan versus the hardcore fan. That being said, it was still very good. I did have some issues with certain aspects of it that I didn't necessarily think were the right timeline. I could not believe... They never addressed Love Gun, Rock and Roll Over, or Alive 2, given that was the biggest time in history, And the producer of those records, Eddie Kramer, was there being interviewed for it. I know there was a lot of things cut out for time. I know that a lot of people have made an issue of saying it's a four-hour documentary. It's really not. It's a three-hour documentary in real time. TV time with commercials, it's four hours. So I do believe... That'd be wonderful if they could do a four-hour cut, a true four-hour cut, and maybe some sort of more expanded edition somewhere down the line. Knowing Kiss we will probably get that at some point. But I thought overall it was very well done, and I certainly still did enjoy it. And we get some insights here with the director, DJ Viola, about this documentary, how it came together, some of the, yeah, I guess you could say controversy surrounding it, Ace and Peter's lack of involvement And also Peter Chris not allowing them to use the song Beth in it. And by the way, and I've talked about this because I saw early cuts. There were several versions of part one of the Kiss documentary that had a scene where Gene and Paul go at Peter for not letting them use Beth. And it was cut out at the very end just before it aired on TV. But it happened. It was shot. Many saw it who saw early cuts. And DJ talks about that and the decision to remove that in the interview you're about to hear. It was great to get to know him and talk to him in the interview you're about to check out. And again, the Kiss Doc is airing on a ton of replays right now on a But this is the guy that made it. Some insights and some stories with him about it on this week's podcast. As always, connect with me on social media. Be sure to follow on Twitter, Instagram, fan page on Facebook, at Eddie Trunk. Twitter and Instagram, where I would be the most active. eddytrunk.com is the official website. All my appearances are on the homepage. Speaking of appearances, if you're in Tulsa this coming Saturday, I will be at the IDL Ballroom for the final time as that concert venue, that club closes in Tulsa. Been the site of some great shows and some fun times over the last three or four years. Many shows I've hosted there. The club has been sold. It's going to change to something else. The final national rock show is there this Saturday, Sebastian Bach and Steven Piercy headlining what's going to really be more a party than anything. Also going to be an early birthday celebration for me. So if you're in the Tulsa area, I'll see you Saturday at the IDL. Also next Saturday, the 30th of July, I believe it is, I'll be in Fort Wayne, Indiana at Sweetwater to host Warrant and Eric Martin all my appearances on the homepage of the site. And again, please follow on social media. All right, let's get to DJ. He is our guest, the director of the Kiss documentary on A&E. DJ, nice to meet you. How are you, man?
2: Very nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. Doing great.
1: Thanks. And congratulations on this undertaking. It's a uh, quite an expansive look at a band <laughs> that is a huge, huge, huge part of my history and, uh, fanaticism as a fan and much of my audience as well. First question for you, DJ, is uh, maybe a bit obvious, but are you a KISS fan? Did you grow up a KISS fan yourself? I
2: grew up, well, (laughs) you gotta gotta put it in context, right? Like, I, I grew up a KISS fan the way that you're unavoidably a KISS fan because they're awesome and they are the soundtrack to most people's like, American youth. However, through the process of this, I've become guarded with that answer because when I meet serious fans i feel like i'm at a you know i'm at a star wars convention and i <laughs> i know the movies <laughs> but but there are people who are gonna you know keep me i mean like as you know i was working with kurt gooch on this project you know like there are people who will keep me to task on the month and day that something occurred and it is gospel so yes i am absolutely a kiss fan but i have learned what true kiss army members are about throughout this process that's for sure
1: um, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? I'm 48. Okay, the reason why I ask that is because for context is when you may have jumped in as a Kiss fan. Because I'm 56, so my first show was a Kiss show in 77 when I was 12. So it's it mm-hmm. it always like if you talk to people that are uh, maybe even a bit younger than you, they may have jumped in in the non makeup era. So every every no matter what. Some people are on board for all of it. Some people are only certain segments. Some people only original lineup. So that beyond the obvious fanaticism, there's also that like where your perspective lands.
2: It's funny. The people who are just a, just a tick older than me got in during the the secrecy and they had, they had enough skills to get around their parents who were guarding them from ever being ever really finding out what, you know, what kiss was all about. I was young where I was, a little shielded a little longer, you know, and you didn't have the internet. It wasn't as easy to get to a record store. Uh, But I finally found them at the same age that everyone, you know, eventually does, which is that whole like 15 year old angst. I'm ready to be out, you know, figure out who I am and have a good time. So, uh, and that's the coolest thing when you go to the kiss shows now, is that you just don't see a bunch of like people our age or, you know, older, like it is the full gamut of, everyone finds them at a certain age point and just sticks with them through their whole run. So you really go to like a multi-generational show who all have the exact same attitude. Everyone returns back to that age again, which is really pretty special. I've never seen anything like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, I, I, I have not seen the band and, and, don't, and don't for a number of years for <laughs> reasons I'm not get into now. I mean, but in a nutshell, <laughs> I, I, I love Tommy and Eric as musicians. I just, I'm not down with I wish they were their own people, but that's a whole nother thing and it's not their fault. And that's a whole nother debate amongst the Kiss fans. So I have not gone in a very long time. But that being said, yes, I see that and acknowledge that because it would be people like my age bringing their kids to see what mm-hmm. turned them on to the band in the first place. So you do see some of a lot of you do see a lot of that multi generational stuff. But I think even more so with Kiss fans because they really it it holds such a special place in their upbringing. They want to share that moment with their kids or their wife or their girlfriend you know, before it goes away. So I could definitely see that being a thing yeah it's an emotional
2: time machine. It takes you right back to just that fun that release of just like unbridled adolescent energy you know of just of figuring out who you're gonna be and how it's gonna be a good time for the rest of your life and <laughs> then when you walk back out of there, reality hits again
1: but when what was that- your first d that- j that- what was your first ever kiss show
2: uh my my first ever kiss show wasn't until I don't know probably eight years ago, to be honest, you know, I've seen them on video many a times, but actually being present in the audience wasn't until much later. Um, and then, and then I've just been inundated. Even prior to the show, I've been on the Kiss cruise, you know, so I've seen them in all different, you know, way, shape and form there. Um, I've seen them obviously throughout the process here. I've seen them in much more intimate settings, even rehearsal spaces, but uh, the, the full on, Experience didn't happen until less than 10 years ago, that's for sure. And then since then, I've yet to uh, walk into one that feels any less special just because of – I understand you're not going, but trust me, it is – still as big as you could possibly do it. I mean, I I sit there the whole time marveling at, like, how a fire marshal approves this. (laughs)
1: It's just the biggest,
2: most impressive thing you've ever seen. And I'm actually dying to see the – I would love to see if they ever end up – I mean, I know we're promoting the end of the road tour, but let's just say if they ended up in Vegas again, I would have loved to have caught when they were there, uh, you know, for that month-long stint or however long that one ran. I think that would have been a really special – um, opportunities to see them in sort of like a twenty five hundred seat theater rather than the twenty five thousand that I keep catching them in.
1: I uh, um, but then even I, like the I,
2: Dubai I w- show. I went out. I went to Daniel's gig out there in Dubai to catch some B roll of these guys because obviously chasing them, you know, trying to make this film during a pandemic was not the easiest. They, they weren't together often, and right. so going out to see that show was crazy because there again it was just it was you know three three football fields of stage going on. You know, so it's just always. It's just always epic. It's as big as they can possibly make it. It has been you, the whole run. Yeah, like you
1: talk. Fun. You talk about. You talk about the fire marshals. How they approve now? I I'm more interested in how the fire marshals ever approved what they did in seventy five, seventy six, because that fire <laughs> was a lot less controlled. You know, that was all over right. the place. <laughs>
2: yeah, there was a guy with four fingers hitting a button, like, yeah, right, it should work out, like. <laughs>
1: right. Totally. So, so DJ, how did you get the call to do this? How did this come together? When did, you know, I was, uh, and I, I don't know how much you know about my history, but I've got a long history with, with some of these guys. And to this day, Ace and Peter are friends as are some of the other former members. Um, so I, you know, I, and I've, I'm known with with a lot of the Kiss fans for the most part of being a huge fan and supporter for for decades as I still am and I, I was approached by um, a producer on this, this project a number of times when they were trying to get Ace uh, involved, because I'm close with Ace. And I did my yeah. best, and we all know, and I, I've said on the air publicly, what you guys are saying is totally true. Ace and Peter were approached. They declined. Um, But how did you get involved in this? How did this project land to you and whose idea was it? Where did it first come from? Did it come from the band or did somebody pitch it to them?
2: Uh, I mean, the, the, it's a little soupy for me on the original, on the origin story of the project. It probably goes back three years from some of the people who were emailing me this weekend, like that they started this project in their (laughs) thirties. They're no longer in them. So uh, for me, I was tangentially a producer on the project for a while because the EP Leslie Greif, uh who did um, uh, Gene Simmons' Family Jewels for many years, for you know however many seasons that went, seven or nine seasons. Um, uh, Leslie and I, Leslie was an EP on three scripted features I did for him, so I've been close with Leslie doing other scripted projects. But I come from the doc world, so as this thing was sort of coming about, I was I was. I was in and around it. I've also been friends with Paul for many years just having lived in LA and having similar aged kids and so I've known Paul a long time and then Leslie's close with Gene and so naturally I was I was sort of orbiting around the project and I was close with um professionally close with John the guy who was originally sort of tasked with trying to uh shape
1: this thing. That's who uh, contacted me. That's who was in touch with ch- me a bunch.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And so by the time I came on, sadly, the the Ace and Peter ship had already sailed. And so anytime I sort of brought it up in meetings, it was kind of like, yeah, you know, that that you're not going to get much much support going after this because I understand it. It, it kind of just came down to you know a contract that couldn't be met, and it's unfortunate. Um, but uh, so anyway, to answer your first question. So I I sort of came into it as it was a little bit all the way, you know, underway as a ninety minute feature. And as I started looking at the fifty year history and said, There you know, there isn't a chance. Like you gotta just you gotta lop off decades to possibly get this thing going. And uh and ended up starting to reshape this thing into a uh into the four hour special that it became and ultimately, I mean, this thing probably could have been an eight hour special, you know, like it's just it's you're you're eventually just tracking all these stories and getting rid of, you know, you're culling it down to where you think you sort of have the heart of it, so I kind of slipped in as this thing was having trouble sort of finding its way amongst the the many different parties involved, and and I did my own sort of version of kind of blowing it up and 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 attacking it from less of a sort of Wikipedia standpoint and more of a why and how they did what they did, you know, like I I was really I was I was very aware of all the previous docs that these guys had had on themselves, let alone all the previous interviews. And undoubtedly, as you start interviewing them, you get you get a, a sense real quick when they fall into their script. And how can you not? You've answered the same question for 35 years. You're going to answer it the same way, almost verbatim. And so what I came in and started doing was really trying to break them of that script of just constantly pressing as to like, why did you do that? How did you feel? How did you feel? Why did you do that? You know, what happened there? And and were you scared? And it was that kind of stuff that was slightly disruptive at first you know you don't i don't know how well you know uh gene and paul i know you know ace and peter i'm sure it's the same way they don't get interrupted a lot (laughs) you know like when you're a rock star people kind of just just sit and listen to you and so interrupting these guys and training them to know that like the pat script wasn't gonna fly and it was time to try to be a little bit more um not just retrospective but introspective as to as to how they really got there um started to give me a stronger foothold and controlling or starting to steer this thing towards let's make something special here. So I don't know. That's a long answer to tell you. It got sticky politically, but ultimately it was sort of an organic growth of like finding story and running with it and ultimately just taking the thing on.
1: And see, that's going to be like, you alluded to this at the top. So, you know, there are the hardcore Kiss fans uh, like myself and like Kurt and many others that are, de- like we could go song by song, album by album, producer, songwriter. Okay. We, I mean, the ins and outs of it. So for people like us, obviously you wanted to make a film that is still going to be in- of interest uh, where you might be mm-hmm. like, well, I knew all that. I heard all that. I've seen all that. So you you needed to, I would imagine, walk a line. The hardcores like us are going to watch it no matter what, though. But still, you want to do mm-hmm. something kind of unique there because there have been other things done before but you're also making you're asking for four hours of tv time from a and e it's got to be something that's got some mainstream appeal too so i imagine walking that line throughout the whole thing was a bit of a challenge
2: it was it was the entire process truthfully i kept trying to make a film that felt like it was made by kiss and and for kiss and so it was like all right if you're, if you're barely a fan or you don't realize you're a fan, like there's a number of people I run into that go, oh, I'm not really much of a fan. And you name five songs, they're like, oh, yeah, I love those. Oh, those are Kiss? <laughs> you know, so some people just uh, you know, don't realize how, how much they've been a soundtrack of their life. And then there's other people who, like you said, you know, know, it, know it beat by beat, album by album. And so I, wanna, I have to give the education as to who they are. I want to give the context of who they are. Um, But for everyone who knows that, you know, like the back of their hand, I also wanted to give insight. And that to me, as I started to you know, gain the trust with Paul and Gene and understand what I as a fan would want to know, is I want to get to know these guys. Like you you want to know, you want to know your heroes. You know, like I was on tour with Eminem for six years. And the number one question I get was, is he a nice guy? Like, like it's, a, it's a funny question because, you know, the guy sort of shouts a lot of angry stuff all day long. And ultimately, it's <laughs> like, yeah, you know, he's he's delightful. He's a performer, you know. um He's got his, what's going on in his life. But, you know, these guys, as you start to get to know them. You say, look, what they stand for is, is self-empowerment. What they stand for is, is not being a victim. And that's what their music, it's how it resonates, how it speaks to people who have trouble, you know, putting those words together themselves. And why they identify with it so let's get to know what made them tick and and that in and of itself i think gives this thing uh, a more insightful lean that you know that if the diehards have read you know paul's first book you might know some of that you know um but most of this stuff hasn't really been shaped in the form of a documentary in this fashion but you're right a lot of it i'm sure there are there are fans going yep heard this part before but i, I can't not walk you through <laughs> that part of their history to get to the next point that i think may add may add more insight to a, a diehard fan
1: on the uh on the ace and peter issue i i know like i said i know the ace part of it uh, extraordinarily well because john dorsey was contacting me to contact him and was very i'll mm-hmm. give him credit was super persistent about it working mm-hmm. me and ace and every and i don't have anything to do with ace professionally it's just i've known him forever and we we used to, you know I signed him back in the day and we're still friends and he lives near me now and it's all good but I mean he makes his own call of course and his own decisions I just put it on his radar so I know where Ace was coming from about right or wrong how he felt uh, I mm-hmm. I know that John had said that he actually physically went out and met with Peter and his wife about yeah. it I do, I was not as in tune with what where they were coming from on it and I don't know if it was like a unified thing where one does it. The other will do it if the other... So so can you tell the fans, like, from your knowledge, where the breakdowns were and was one closer to doing it than the other? Would you have taken one without the other? Uh, I know they're independent people, but from a production standpoint, uh, John had said from the get-go, we're going to just do it with, you know, with existing interviews if they won't do it. Uh, but but where where did it, like, you know, where, where from your vantage point were you told that the breakdown came where it was finally just decided, Hey, we're moving on. And that's that. Uh, the, I
2: have, I have zero insight into the Peter situation. Um, by the time I started poking around, I would get fairly, uh, serious emails of please do not contact our client again. And so it's like, uh, there's, there's not a lot of room there for, but can I tell you how I want to bring this to light? And so that was unfortunate. I'm not sure how that got so sideways. Um, I'm, and, and he may be 100% in the right. I literally don't know how he was approached. Ace, I have a little bit more intel that I know it, it came through you. And I actually went with John one night to meet Ace at the Ace Really Experience in Calabasas, California. And the funny thing was, I was actually at dinner at Paul's that night, randomly. And I got a text from John. Do you want to join me to go see the Ace Frehley thing? And I was like, absolutely. And then Paul's son was there. You know, Evan was there. And and by the way, if you ever, I'm sure you've seen it many times. I mean, Ace destroys. He's so effing good. Like it was just, it was a, it was an incredible show. And I yeah. went backstage, and I, and that to me was the knowledge. It was my, to my knowledge, the first time John had sort of been face to face with Ace. I don't know. I think there had been a lot of emails prior to that, um, but that's where that was the first I had heard of basically uh you know a low financial offer which sadly wasn't you know I, I don't think ace believed it but it wasn't a lie like this thing was made on a on a on a on a budget that let's say is not necessarily what some of the streamers are putting towards docs these days you know um it was done with heart and passion but it just wasn't a big um it wasn't a big paycheck to go make this thing uh now people have certainly stuck their necks out and It's a big number to a lot of other people, but I think ultimately that that performance number felt uh, fake. And I think that um, maybe launching this with a better uh, with with more respect for maybe what an industry standard number might have been probably would have moved that needle because I think Ace. Ace, you know, I mean, I've heard him say it on your show. He thinks there should be a movie about him, you know, and he thinks you shouldn't direct it. But the...
1: Uh, right, he did say uh, that on I, his show. <laughs> right?
2: <laughs> and, and, oh, by the way, I'd be happy to be up for that gig also. I mean, I think Ace is a fascinating
1: character, you know? I mean, D, well, DJ, you, you can take some of that. Au- I mean, I know you pulled some audio from my past interviews in the doc. You could, you could, you, you could do your whole doc on an, on ACE from my shows alone because uh, right? you know, there's well, stuff about what, him. There's you know, stuff about spaceships landing in his backyard. I mean, you got a ton amazing, of stuff there, right? man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, the,
2: I mean the ACE thing and, and I'm mean, one of the early conversations I had with Gene when we were, when this thing was coming together uh, when, when I started to really get heavily involved, was he said it was so important to him that Ace and Peter had a big presence in the movie. Uh, it was literally the only note I got from him and Paul. Him and Paul never said to stay away from anything. They never said we don't want to talk about that. There was not a subject matter that they steered away from. I mean, I mean probably the first cut I had, I don't know, everything was cut long, so I may, I probably... First time I showed him anything was probably eight minutes of the Elder, you know, and they're like, "Okay, whatever," you know. So see that? I'd love to see.
1: (laughs) As a hardcore fan, I'd
2: love to see that. (laughs) Oh my goodness! Well, there's there's certainly some in uh, some in night. Have you seen night two or only night one? Yes.
1: Yep. We'll get there, but yes, I did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So, uh, so you know, there was nothing off topic, but I I so love the fact that. Gene was particular about include them you know in any in every way shape and form you can because they're rock stars and so it was a it was a big mandate in the edit to constantly mine through as many old interviews as we could to give them their voice to give them their part and I think when you look at the weight between the two nights of how much the original four are in there there's a ton of time dedicated to those guys and a ton of time dedicated to to some other you know really special members as they as they've passed through this project I think Ultimately, not having them uh, on camera was was a shame, but I think we got so much of their voice in there, you feel their presence in the doc. Uh, where it got stickier then is that if you don't have their approval, there's certain things, their interviews that I would mind that are gold that I still, I would need them to sign off on. And that's where it was like, ah, this is a great point in here. And so, all right, how do we how do we express that without being able to use this language specifically? Because people like yourself aren't necessarily as magnanimous with their, with their interview gets, you know, cause it's like, well, this right. is your project. This was our project, but you know, right, that's, all, right. that's all talk filmmaking, you know, it, it happens. I mean, there's, 2500 clips alone in night one this is a licensing job beyond all licensing jobs yeah, you know so, i would
1: imagine i would was, imagine well i i mean the, the thing i'll tell you and i don't want to harp on this because there's so much other stuff i want to talk about but i know mm-hmm. that having had a lot of dialogue myself with ace about it the money thing was part of it but it wasn't about the initial offer it was like you know his in his mind, this thing's going to live forever. It's probably going to come out in mm-hmm. all these other countries. It's going to be licensed. Mm-hmm. It's going to be no, and Gene and Paul. They're going to put it in these packages. It's going to be sold and this and that. Mm-hmm. And I'll get no piece of that. And they're going to you know so that and then the narrative and they're going to it's going to be the same stuff. I'm a drug addict. I fucked up the band. So those are all wow. the things he had expressed to me. And uh, you know it was really funny. A, a, I got to tell you a quick funny story. I don't even know if you know this. But this is, cra- this is crazy. So I, for a little bit, I was the conduit, you know, with between John and Ace and just trying to keep a line of dialogue. Cause I'm a Kiss fan. I would love to have seen it happen. You right. know, and I said one time I said to John, I swear to God, I go, John, um, you know he's worried about the narrative. He's worried about you know it's going to be the same old thing. He fucked it up. He destroyed the band. He You know, and he you know Ace owns that stuff, but he he feels mm-hmm. like I think he doesn't get credit for the person he is now in the last fifteen twenty years. So mm-hmm. he, John sends me it was a black and white clip via email of I think I think it was Gene talking uh, on camera. You know an interview, Talking Head segment, and it's the it's a clip and Gene's going. And then, you know, Ace destroyed it and got drunk and and he goes, he goes, John John just goes, send this to him, man, because I want him to see the quality of what we're doing. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. This is not this is exactly what he is. He's worried about. I'm gonna do you a favor and not forward this to him. And John's like, Oh yeah, I didn't realize what he was saying. I just wanted you to see how it was shot. And I'm like, Yeah, you don't want this going there. <laughs> Be right back with more with DJ Viola after this. Let's get back to more of my conversation with Kiss Dury documentary director DJ Viola right now on the Eddie Trunk podcast. DJ, I saw uh, two cuts of of part one uh, leading into uh, the premiere. One, I guess, that was at Tribeca and one that was a bit earlier. And then I did not see what aired on TV last night because I was traveling, but I will watch it again. But I know you made some revisions and some cuts probably right up to the 11th hour. One specifically that I want to ask about, though, is there. It, it's well documented now that you mentioned the tensions and issues with Peter, but that Peter, and I didn't even realize that he controlled, I know he's a songwriter on it and the singer, but he, didn't over, he controlled the, the sync for Beth. And it was in, in, in two of the cuts of what I saw, there was actually a moment in there of a current interview of Gina Paul sitting on that sofa and, and basically laying them out for not letting them use it. Now some friends told me they did not see that last night in TV. Was that taken out?
2: It was taken out, not because of, um, I don't know. Well, ultimately we have to deliver a show that comes into time with, with commercials, you know? So, there were tragic, I mean, as Brad Abramson, who was a really brilliant storytelling executive over at A&E, who was hands-on this whole project, um, he, he maybe he coined the phrase, maybe the phrase has been together around for a while, but we always talk about trimming the fat and trimming the fat and trimming the fat. And by the time we got down to trying to make the show to time, he said, I know, now you're cutting bone," And it was the truth. There are stories that we had to just start to either eliminate or truncate. And so when we got to Beth, Undoubtedly, we're dancing around the fact that we can't play this song. And the cut you saw was probably two and a half minutes uh, of just the Beth period, because Beth is such a monumental moment in in their, you know, rise. Uh, Ultimately, there's three authors on that song with Peter, I think it's Stan, and and Ezra Amor. No, Ezra. Yeah, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Ezra. Ezra. So, yeah. so, so Bob and Stan both said absolutely. You know, you can use it, and and Peter ultimately said no again because I think the categorical answer for the movie became no. You know, and so there was a scene that we shot with Gene and Paul, which again were were uh, you know trying to get these guys just present in a room, sitting around and being a fly on the wall. And one of the things that was tossed out to them was. When we get to Beth, we're probably not going to be able to play that song, you know, um, for for the film. The good news is everybody has Apple Music and Sirius XM, shall I say. And you guys will, you know, they can they can still access that song, uh, but we're probably not going to be able to, to play. And so that's when they started riffing and said, you know, ultimately, and I'm, I think maybe in other iterations uh, beyond A&E's rotation, this scene will probably be put back in because I know some fans who had seen it really resonated with it. Uh, Brad and E resonated with it. Kurt resonated with it. And I was seeing them discuss the situation and saying that from Gene and Paul's perspective, uh, Peter was denying the fans this moment in this celebration uh, was their take on it. And that ultimately it's not hurting Gene and Paul and the movie they're involved with, but hurting the fans was their take. And that, that was the scene that was in there. But when you're trimming for time, it was like, well, Huh. Like I, I don't really have a resolution to this conflict. I'm just stating a conflict and leaving it there. And and it, every time you watch the film in its totality, it was a little bit of a of a speed bump because it's just this thing, this unresolved thing that that I think if anything was kind of unnecessarily shining a negative light on Peter when it's really not what that, that whole segment's supposed to be a celebration of Peter. <laughs> it's like, it's like the and it's a celebration of Kiss. And so it was, it was an unnecessarily, it was an unnecessary down moment that I think is, is insightful and interesting to look at, but, but kind of hurt the flow of the film uh, and kind of didn't tonally send us in the direction that I thought we needed to be at that point, which is the rise of these, you know, four guys uh, along with their team. So that's kind of how it hit the cutting room floor. But I, I certainly... The Gooch was texting me last night. <laughs> A lot of question marks. So... Yeah,
1: yeah I I, I, uh, I thought it was... Uh, honestly, I thought it was one of the most honest moments in it when I saw it in just knowing those guys and the dynamic. And here's the thing. If it was not there, the way you covered the 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 Beth, the whole thing with Beth... I might not have even noticed that the song wasn't actually used because you had some like piano music to cover it. And it was like, Mm -hmm. but when it cut away to the two of them, I I think it was Paul that called him a petulant child. I was like, Whoa. And that was the kind of like most raw revealing warts and all moment. But I do understand it coming out because it, it was a curveball in the whole thing. I as a, I thought it was very revealing, but I also understand from a creative standpoint, you had to do what you had to do. And look, timing, I imagine, DJ, the time, even though this thing's four hours, which, if we're mm-hmm. being honest, in TV time is probably more like three hours total, but... Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I I know that from having done a TV show for years that, you know, an hour is really like 43 minutes or something. So Mm -hmm. you, you need to, you you know, you got to keep that into uh, in account. I get that, but uh, you're right, man. This thing could have been like a five nighter. (laughs) I mean, I don't think Kiss fans would have mind because here's the other thing from here's the one thing that I was shocked about from a fan standpoint. I was kind of getting into, and, and make no mistakes, I loved it. I truly did. I, I can't, I get you're, you. dealing with the, you're dealing with a fan base where you, you're never going to make everyone happy and you can't be all <laughs> no. things to all people. It's impossible. But I was really loving the album by album vibe of the early records mm-hmm. leading into Alive and Destroyer. Mm-hmm. And I get for time you couldn't stay on that. But mm-hmm. rock and roll over, Love Gun. Alive to the pinnacle of Kiss's success. And those records were not only not mentioned, they weren't even... Sh- like, the covers don't even come up. So I was really, really shocked at that, just given... I understand there's a montage from that period of the performance, but the fact mm-hmm. with Eddie Kramer there who produced all of them to get mm-hmm. nothing on those records was surprising to me. Did you get stuff and have to cut it out? Or did you decide okay, we established Kiss is huge and we got to move on?
2: I think it was more, yes, I had stuff. You know, we had stuff on, you know, darn near, especially that Night One was, Night One's a very tight edit. You know, it is a barrage on your senses like a Kiss show. It is just, it is fact and story and fact and story and fact and story coming at you. You know, where you see Night Two breathes a little bit more like a film because it's more about the character pieces. I think night 1 was that dance of how do we how do we go step by step through this and yet still get enough character in there for you to start to understand get a taste for and a feel for who these guys are where they're going you know and why you want to be on this journey with them so at some point the album chronology took a backseat to them being on this on this tour together you know to be, them being seven, you know earning $75 a week on tour while bill of coins amex is getting maxed out so that's where it just sort of shifted into the characters if you will you know the 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 personal stories um and that stuff started to have to get blurry because especially when you're looking at you're almost an hour into the movie and you're you know four albums in it's like uh (laughs) uh-oh we've got a problem you know i've got to start you know start leapfrogging over some of this stuff um and, and night two, you feel it too. Like it kind of rubber yeah. bands near the end. Cause you're like, okay. And then 20 years happened, you know, and they're still doing it. And, and a lot of that is you, you have to choose when I think the character stories had to, had to sort of trump the, the, some of the origin story um, because it's just interesting, you know? And I think it's some of the insight that this thing lends to the fans that do know, you know, every single aspect of those albums, is to try to get into, like, these guys are having fun. I mean, I I, I think Vagabond Inn didn't make the final edit either, uh, but you would have seen that piece, you know, when they were hauled up in San Francisco eating beans, you know, <laughs> uh, and hot dogs because they get, kept kept getting kicked out of doors and ran out of money. Like, these are fun, on-the-road stories, which, you know, Kiss often ends up being a little light on because – these guys tour like BB King, you know, like they're, they're doing 200 plus shows a year. And so you don't get as many of uh, to the Motley crew stories all the time. So you want right. to know that these guys were in a station wagon together and having fun. And, th- and that's when a lot of this stuff started to just get into more of the personal stuff.
1: Yeah, no, trust me. I know firsthand how agonizing making those calls on edits are. I, I did it. I don't know if you're familiar with my old show, that metal show we did on VH one for 14 seasons. and we would shoot to an hour. And, and I mean, at the end of the day, when they got into the edit, the stuff that I had to cut out would, we cut out would just kill me because it's, yeah, it's like, this is great stuff people would want to see, but you know, you've got those 48 or 46 minutes and you got to do what you can do, which leads to the next thing, because of course, you know, you have now online and apps and extra content and go here for bonus stuff. Is there somewhere down the line a a potential like super cut of this thing for the super fan like me and others that would love four or five hours straight of kiss footage and see uh, tons of this stuff that couldn't make it even in two nights? Is that something you envision Mm -hmm. being possible at some point? I definitely think from the initial
2: reaction uh, online so far that we've seen is there seems to be a groundswell of, of enthusiasm for this particular, you know, uh, movie, Turn Around and Kiss. And I think that only lends itself to let's not go as far as a Snyder Cut here. But I think people are going to want to say, well, else you got lying around, because ultimately the way you the way we cut this doc was in very like punchy, short acts, almost chapters. Uh, I wanted to design it to be like a KISS show, which is these like three and a half, four minute stories. There's, you know, there's conflict resolution, conflict resolution. And so you're just constantly getting hit with these tiny little mini stories and the long tail of the movie happens at the end of the, of the two nights where you you're along with the journey. But KISS shows are very punchy that way. KISS albums are very punchy that way. And so I try to make the doc that way, which means I have a lot of little mini chapters that were lopped off. And so it wasn't often like well, let's salvage that story and keep one line in there. It's that story doesn't have doesn't have place now um, because there's no room. And so yeah, there are there are cut pieces sitting uh, not on the floor, not on the editing room floor, but on the shelf that could certainly be incorporated into into second windows. You know, if Amy ends up uh, you know enthusiastically pushing this thing out there uh, with longer TRT, that's for sure.
1: Yeah. Or if they just did it as an online thing where, I mean, I'm sure that I, I, you talk about, again, the stuff, the deep fans would be into. You said you had like eight minutes on the elder or something. I mean, if you put up uh, if they put up and, and we all know that Gina Paul know how to market, so I'm not telling them how to market, <laughs> but if they put out, you know, if they put up like a five hour cut and charge 10 bucks to watch it on some streaming thing, I mean, the hardcores would be all in on, on all that. And that leads me to with a few minutes that we have here tonight. So part two runs tonight and there was a lot of interest, I think even more in part two than one in talking to the the big time fans, because a lot in the early years in the original band was covered. Not so it's much covered. about the 80s stuff, especially the non-makeup era. And having seen part two, yeah. I know that that's there, but it's not nearly to the depth because again, it, 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 again, timing, I get it, but talk about mm-hmm. what people will see tonight. Talk about moving through that period. Uh, Eric Carr, his pass, his arrival, his passing, uh, he was a dear friend. I, I, you know, I, I miss him tremendously. I'm glad he gets some time and love in, in this in part two, but, but talk a little bit about uh, trying to address the eighties. And I imagine knowing the history and the relationship, the idea of interviewing Vinnie Vincent was a non-starter. I would imagine.
2: Yeah. Vin, Vinnie was not something, I, although I chased down the East, the, the Ace and Peter thing to say what's going on here. Vinny has certainly had a had kind of a litigious relationship with these guys that everyone pretty much just categorically said this, this is probably something we don't really want to, want to poke our nose into. And yet I think his story is told, you know, somewhat objectively to be like, this was, this was his time here. In fact, no one questions the fact that he was wildly talented and a, you know, very talented, not only musician, but songwriter who had an impact in the band. So there's no way you, you don't ignore him either. You know, you have to put him in there, but um, his input wasn't necessarily something that we, we, we tracked down too heavily. um, If at all, the Eric Carr thing was obviously one of the most delicate moments of the entire documentary um, just because of the, the severity of the story and the, the hardship on so many people on so many different levels. And you also have to be careful with hindsight um, cleaning up the story in places and you got to be careful to make sure that you're honoring him and his legacy correctly. So that one was, that one I spent a lot of time really digging through um, interview after interview, story after story, making sure that I thought we were accurately um, telling that the best we can. Well, again, you know, in the scope and scale of uh, a two-hour night two, or as you said, sort of more of a ninety-minute night two, uh, giving it its, its right amount of, of weight. And so, I think we handled it with you know almost entire act dedicated to him, uh, and his journey is so fascinating because I mean he's the first to to he's the first of the of the new regime, you know, I mean, he had to step in first and the pressure on him and a guy who really didn't have any training for such a situation, not, not that you could have trained to step into kiss, but even just as a global phenomenon of a musician, you know, like he basically just got thrown into the, to the main event and said, here you go. And by the way, the fans aren't sure about you, you know, so his story in and of itself is a full three act structure. Um, of, you know, this hero's journey of his that, uh, you know, sadly has a tragic ending. I think the 80s and 90s um, are amazing, especially if you've watched Night One or if you know Night One well enough, you now know who these guys are, who Paul G and Ace and Peter are going into Night Two. And so as they start to explore what fame and fortune and the inherent insecurities they still all carry with them, and how they deal with those, how they process those, how they become the, how they either begin to overcome them or still battle them, I think is the beauty of Night Two, is that is that there's less setup as to who everyone is and more about how they're handling life, and I think that is the that's the fun of two. I mean, early on, it was a call I got from Paul, he was like, I actually, you know, I re-, he liked Night Two better. Um, I don't know where he stands at the final edit, but he liked Night Two better when we were cobbling this thing together because it's less covered material. It's less of an origin right, story, exactly. of a of a journey. You know? Yeah. So it's yeah. It's, no, I think it's really it's really fun that way.
1: Yeah. No, I I, I agree completely. I, that's how I felt about looking forward to to Night Two as well. There's one thing about there's one thing that Paul says at the start of Night Two that I wholeheartedly disagree with, and and you you <laughs> kind of alluded to it too. And that is the fact about Eric Carr is about the fact that fans were unsure; they didn't accept him. I think I think night part two tonight opens with Paul saying something like, "You know, well, we made the mistake of giving him his own makeup, and uh, it, the fans just didn't accept it." I, I I absolutely wholeheartedly disagree with that. As a fan, mm-hmm. uh, people the fans loved Eric Carr; they loved his character; okay. they were all in. The problem was that kiss was a dead as a doormat issue in America. And, and that was because of what was well covered at the end of part one as that I was made for loving you. And that period was the ultimate two-edged sword. The one side Mm -hmm. was the song was a huge hit. The other side was it completely blew off their fan base. So, Anybody in the band at that point, regardless of the makeup, whatever you know, that, that that sent them into a tailspin trying to reestablish with a credible rock audience for years coming off of that whole dynasty thing, and that's well covered at the end of one. But to to say it had anything to do with the character, I mean, most fans loved the fact there was a new character. Uh, with all mm-hmm. respect to Peter, and they embraced him, mm-hmm. and 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 Eric is was extremely loved it's just that the the fans had turned their back on the band not the fact that they had a different drummer it was that played into it but that was not the thing so that that jumped out at me but i know that works towards their narrative now about what they're doing now and what they want to do going forward so i get it that that it's it's good to sell that but i i i i disagreed with that um you know personally and i know others did it as well but that's how they saw it um, look, there's so much in this thing, and there's so much cool footage that flashes quickly that people maybe hadn't seen. I, I just, I really enjoyed it. I really liked both parts of it very much. But in the, as the psycho fan, hardcore fan in me. <laughs> I'm dying to see what's not in it, DJ. <laughs> <You know?
2: laughs> I love it. But what's that? We haven't even aired night two and you want to know what else there
1: is. So but I, I saw night that's, two. That's, I, that's, I, the, that's the Kiss fandom. That's the Kiss well, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and by the way, I, you know, I thought Tommy was great in it. I thought Eric Singer was great in it. I thought Bruce was great in it. I loved, you know, Ezrin and Eddie Kramer. Great that they were there. I would have loved mm-hmm. uh, even tons more with them. I mean, morello and Grohl are both friends they're obviously great at doing that kind of stuff and legit fans so you know really i mean i i think it's you know you know you know us kiss fans extraordinarily well now everybody's gonna have something to say about something but that's <laughs> this band and our fan and the fan base but uh i think you did a you know you did a great job with what you had to work with man i thought it was awesome
2: well thanks man i really appreciate it. the uh the the Honor of having to, or of being handed, you know, 50-year career was, you know, is truly an honor. The fear of the backlash of possibly getting it wrong was very intense and i'm not talking about from paul and jean it was completely that there was an army standing by to let me know where i failed them and so it oh was, you're uh, gonna
1: get that no matter what you you could have made gone oh, with the wind and you're gonna get that <laughs>
2: <laughs> well it means a lot to at least hear from you say you, you liked it and i understand there's a. Uh, there could be some dissension in certain parts, but uh, right. But honestly, well, that's it the thing. True privilege to work on this thing. So, yeah,
1: and yeah. that's what being a fan is, man. I mean, that's what I've said yeah, all along. You know, look, it gets me in trouble sometimes because I have strong opinions, but it is what it is. I mean, to me, that's what being a fan is. It doesn't mean there any band you could ever tell me about. There's certain eras I didn't like that I love the band, but sure. that's what being a fan is. So you just roll with it and. Uh, you know i I think it's great this document is out there and I hope that uh, a lot of people watch it and I hope that there's some super extended cut somewhere down the line because uh, I was uh, I was excited to see it and I love what's in it and I just it makes me wonder like I know Kurt was you know telling me about all this stuff from the archives nobody saw and I was like okay I want more of that now I want more than a five okay. second cut of it. But again, yeah. I get you're you're up against your your time constraints, so uh, well, I think you I did great with what you had.
2: Having some of that unseen footage before, and having a you know we had a talented um, finishing editor and colorist, Mark Bach, come in and really time that stuff and 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 color it correctly. I mean, one of the comments we kept getting from Tribeca was, "I've seen that footage before, but never like that," and that right. was super cool. You know, is that right. even if you know some of the story, you're seeing that stuff and and a resolution you've never seen before. And, you know, without the, all the grain and the scratches, like, so I think to that degree, we also just archive them, you know, appropriately for today's date and time too, which was exciting. And I'll tell,
1: I'll tell, I'll tell my audience a quick little thing to look for tonight. It's a quick flash, but I have this photo and I don't know where you guys got it from, but it's been online, but there's a photo that comes up today very quick and and tonight's show very quickly. It's a black and white shot. And it's, it's Bruce, it's Bruce Kulick. And Paul Stanley in '85, and uh, there's me standing right behind them over their shoulder. It was uh, it was at a I think it was David Brenner did a a radio show back in those days, and they were the guests, mm-hmm. and I was there, and I was even doing radio at that time. And it's a it's a funny photo. So I saw that fly by in tonight's episode, and I was like, wow, that's pretty cool that it it made the cut for about. We had to uh, give
2: you your Hitchcock moment, man. We gotta <laughs> put you
1: in there. <laughs> hey man i gotta run it's a pleasure to talk to you and i hope uh, like i said i hope this d- does well and i appreciate you taking the time and hopefully get a chance to meet one of these days
2: yeah absolutely man real pleasure thanks for helping to get the word out and thanks for the time man this was a lot of fun
1: well really enjoyed that conversation with dj and i appreciate the time and i appreciate his candid responses to my questions and the transparency of how that whole thing went on and what went on and what didn't go on and appreciate talking to him and getting to know him a little bit. It was a fun conversation. Thank you for listening to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. New episodes every Thursday. Be sure to subscribe totally free, and be sure to listen to me every day on volume. Sirius XM, channel 106, live, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, daily. Talk and rock with you. Nightly re-airs, 10 to midnight Eastern. Anything you want, anytime you want on the Sirius XM app, including audio and video of some of the interviews as well. Have yourselves a great rest of your week and weekend. I'll catch you next Thursday for another all-new episode or hopefully live on the radio on Sirius XM. And uh, next week I'll be bringing you Steve Whiteman of Kicks and Lita Ford, a very 80s hard rock podcast for you next week. Have a good one.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich.